NEC Hoops fans, we are back for the latest episode of NEC On The Run. My name is Ron Radner. I am here, as always, with Ryan Peters at Pioneer underscore Pride. We are here to bring you the world of NEC Hoops. Just two weeks remaining in what has been a fun regular season. NEC BBT just around the corner. Ryan, there are so many storylines that we want to hit this week. Changing the format up a little bit. We'll do a little more chatting back and forth. Where do we want to get started? How about we go to Brooklyn, where LIU, I think they were the only team to sweep last week. That's correct. They were. They they went 2-0. They kind of solidified their position in that 3-4 that to four seed slot for the NEC tournament. And just an impressive week with wins over St. Francis, Brooklyn, and Bryant. Uh, you know, they were really unselfish in the two ones. They had 41 assists on 59 made baskets. That's a 69%. Uh, ratio there, which is a wonderful ratio, really shows that they were sharing the basketball. They were actually in that Bryant game, there were six players in that game who had at least three assists, which kind of tells you the, you know, the facilitating that was going on. And overall, 24 assists to 11 turnovers against the Bulldogs, that's going to win you most basketball games. And then Ty Flowers, I mean, you know, let's just go over the statistics over this unreal two-game stretch. He had 61 points, 24 rebounds, six blocks, five assists, shot eight of 12 from two, 11 of 23 from three. I mean, those are player of the year type of type of production right there. I mean, he was just fantastic, especially against Brian. He puts up numbers in every category we list each week in our, in our weekly announcement where he ranks uh, up and down the, you know, the NEC stat leaders from points to rebounds. Now three pointers, he's moving up the charts there. I'll throw you another stat from this week. And I, you know, this is my bread and butter finding these things out. In the game against Brian, 29 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, six blocks in a game. He's the only player in the last 12 years nationally to put up that kind of a stat line with at least 29, 12, four, and six in the country. So he does things, and we see we've seen this all year. He does things that not anyone else in this league can do. He's a six-nine uh player who can play inside outside he can handle the ball he can play the point he'll play the wing there's nothing he can't do and that makes him so dangerous to all the other teams in this league yeah i mean there's a number of stat stuffers like elite staff stat stuffers in this league we talked about flowers obviously alex morales fills up every single category peter kiss charles pride I mean, there, there are a number of guys in this league. I, I, I can't remember a time in the league where there were like, you know, four or five guys, like, you know, all conference first teamers that you would consider that just fill up the stat sheet all the way from points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. They just have an impact everywhere. Let me ask you this. You, you go way back, you know, as do I. There, you know, there's a whole slew of player of the year candidates in this league. And I feel, you know, there's only going to be one, but I feel that if you look at some of the past player of the year winners going back 10, 15, 20 years, that any of this group this year, you can make a case could have won almost any other year. They're that good. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. I don't want to call out names and say, say who. <laughs> who they would, they would beat out. I'm, I'm on Ken Palm's page right now, kind of looking at it and just looking at the names from previous years. Like, yeah, I agree with you. There'd be, there would have been times where, you know, let's say Ty Flowers finishes second or third in the voting this year, but he could have very well won it 
had he played in like, you know, the middle of last decade, you know, for example. So I agree. It's just like we're seeing, and the, the, these guys are all super seniors too, right? They're, they're, they're literally grown men, 22, 23 year olds playing and they're dominating the league the way they suppo- they're supposed to. Yeah. It's great having this sort of star talent in the league because not only they give us th- thrills, you know, each and every night, but they're helping their teams win. And, you know, we're seeing people play at this high level. And I agree the super senior aspect, you know, it can't be, I mean, that's, that's a big reason why this is all happening this year. It's tougher. I think for some of the young players to get that time uh, in that they've, gotten in the past because these teams are so top heavy with upperclassmen. But then again, let's, let's just switch gears for a second. Let's go to FDU who's on the other end of the, of the spectrum where we're seeing this young talent starting to bubble up there. You know, the other day, Greg Horenda played almost all freshmen for the entire game, scored 71 of their 82 points in their win over sacred heart. And you could see the start of something potentially big here with this group yeah 100 percent. i mean i don't know if he was sending a message but we didn't see we barely saw brandon rush devin dunn peel racine we didn't see any of those guys in the sacred heart game and yet anquan hill oscar berry sebastian lamote they they literally combined the score i, let me, I have this number right here they, they combined the score 61 of the night's 82 points in saturday's victory they were all super efficient I, and those three guys in particular, they all complement each other really well. Like Oscar Berry's going to be a great long range shooter down the road. He's going to be a guy who's going to be shooting 40 to 45% from three every single year. He's just got such a smooth, quick release from deep. Um, Sebastian Lamote kind of reminds me of Aaron Clarkish. He just is very savvy with the ball. He knows how to get downhill. He can make shots. He just, he doesn't play like a rookie. He plays like Correct. a rookie. And then, yeah. and then, and then Anquan Hill's got the biggest upside of all three of them. You know, his, his talent, you know, at six, nine, his athleticism, they got to put a little more bulk on him. And I know Greg Herend and the staff working on that. And, you know, the perfect guy with graduate assistant coach, Mike Holloway is on the staff right now to lead that chart. <laughs> but, you know, Hill is just, he's, he was an actually an Atlantic 10 talent that kind of slipped through the cracks and ended up at FDU. And we're really starting to see the talent now. He had an exceptional game against Sacred Heart, 21 points, eight rebounds. And the thing that surprised me with Hill is the fact that he actually stretched the floor out too. So he's an inside-outside presence, which we saw from, say, Caleb Bishop back in the earlier time when Horenda was winning all these games at FDU. So I really like the young talent here. Um, you know, in you know, uh, Abraham uh, Watara is also very talented. He's a rangy 6'5 guy, very athletic. Uh, you know, Jax is a point guard. I think is going to eventually be really good. He, he's very good defensively. So they got a lot of young talent. And, uh, you know, we didn't even mention, you know, Mikey Square or, uh, you know, Joe Munden Jr. as sophomores. You know, they still got, you know, three years of eligibility left after this season. So they, they're, they're building something in FDU. It, it was a tough rebuild this year because, as you mentioned, a lot of these teams are so much older and more experienced. It's just tough when you have kids going up against grown men. But I, I like FDU one, two, three years down the road. Yeah, they're a fun team to watch. They're going to be, you know, you could just, I sense that there's something special brewing with this group. You saw it in the past with them. And you mentioned players like Hill, and we'll take all the bouncy six, nine guys in this league that we can get, right? Like that, that's, that's something that you don't see all that often. And then you have someone like Lamote, 
who you absolutely, you hit it right on the head that he doesn't play like a freshman. He's under control. He can beat you off the dribble. He'll, he'll stick a three-pointer in your face too. And Barry's leading the league in three-point shooting and just his freshman year. So I, I, I think that Greg's onto something here. And I think that there may be some more of these kind of games where they knock some teams off before this season ends. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, they, they already beat Central Connecticut and Sacred Heart at home. Um, they only have one more home game. It's, of course, against Wagner. But uh, and actually, I'm looking at their schedule. It's a tough schedule to close. They're at Merrimack. They're at Bryant. They're home against Wagner. And then they're at LIU. But would it shock me if they win one of those games? No, it wouldn't. No, um, absolutely not. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the top of the standings. Let's talk about Wagner. Now, what a game. There was, you know, what a game in the Spiro Center on Saturday, an overtime game. Merrimack breaks the streak, stops the nation's longest winning streak at 14, ends Wagner's dreams of an unbeaten season. Meanwhile, down the road over in Brooklyn, uh, Bryant loses their nine game streak, comes to an end at the hands of at the hands of LIU. We just talked about that. Let's talk a little Wagner hoops right now and Merrimack. What did you take from that game? We saw Wagner on Thursday pretty dominant in their game against the Mount. Uh, Merrimack comes in, and Wagner really struggled offensively in that game. Merrimack turned it on in overtime. What were your key takeaways from that one? I mean, the energy and the intensity that Merrimack had throughout that game, they matched them for four, They matched them for 40, 45 minutes. They matched Wagner. We – just seeing Wagner courtside a lot this year, being on the broadcast, uh, a lot of teams cannot do that. They cannot match that intensity for 40, 45 minutes, but Joe Gallo's team absolutely did that. And the thing that impressed me the most is going into Saturday's game, Wagner had actually outscored 15 of, um, I want to make 15 of 16 mid-major opponents in points in the paint, but Merrimack actually outscored him by six on points in the paint on Saturday. So they really, you know, Jordan Miner, Ziggy Reed, they really were dominant in the interior and they kind of neutralized Wagner's interior attack. We mentioned it earlier off offline where, you know, Alex Morales just really didn't get in the paint very much in this game. And I think part of that was that two, three zone that you did a great job yep. of keeping them contained to the perimeter, but also too, they were just cutting off driving lanes and they made it very difficult for the Wagner slashers, whether it's Morales, Martinez, Delani Hunt, made it really difficult for them to get to the rim unless they were trying to uh, push out in transition off live ball turnovers. But so I just thought overall Merrimack had a, did a great job matching the intensity and also getting 19 Wagner turnovers was huge. Uh, they really, in that game, Joe Gallo told me they got 47 deflections, which is uh, the second highest wow. number that they had all year. And so they get 49. 47 deflections is pretty impressive against, you know, a veteran team like Wagner. Um, it kind of goes to show you that the adjustment that they made after losing by 14 in North Andover a couple weeks earlier. Yeah, I think one of the key reasons that they were able to win this game was the play of Jordan Minor, who was uh, pretty dominant both games last week. As a matter of fact, let's bring him in now and talk about uh, the big win and a little bit about his career and what's going down at Merrimack this season. We are here with Jordan Minor, Merrimack College junior forward. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us on NEC on the Run. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get started, Jordan. A huge win on Saturday at Wagner, snapping their 14-game win streak, taking them from the ranks of the unbeaten. 
Jordan, heading into that game, did you did you like this matchup based on how you played them earlier this season? I mean, yeah, we we like the matchup just because it's Wagner. You know, it doesn't mean we look at the uh, game game plan differently. Take every game the same way, but uh, from how we played them earlier in the season, we felt like we had a, a chance to give them our best shot uh, at their place. So we were definitely went in there feeling confident and ready. Jordan, you picked up two fouls early in that game, first five minutes, and then your your teammate Ziggy Reed also had two fouls. So, you know, Coach Gallo really had to juggle the rotation. You guys were shorthanded. You were without Justin. You were without Ryan. So, you know, your your front line was thin. It really literally was just you and Ziggy. Did you actually play better defense after picking up that second foul? Because I felt like you were you were chesting up with the, you know, the opposing center. You were making them shoot over the top of them. And they, they really struggled with that kind of physicality that you brought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. game plan heading in, uh, you know, was to make them make tough shots over us, uh, try to contest as many shots as we can. You know, uh, we know they're a paint team. Um, so that was the game plan. But with the fouls, it was just playing smart. And obviously with the fouls, you know, you're a little bit more aware of things, aware of where you are. So that definitely had a role into it. I mean, the foul trouble probably contributed to this, but one of the stats that I saw at halftime seemed crazy to me. You guys were actually minus 17 in rebounding after one half. And I don't know, did Coach Gallo bring that up in, in halftime? Because you guys were much better in the second half in overtime. You actually were plus six in the rebounding margin if you combine the second half and overtime. So was that a vote of emphasis to be a little tougher? And also the fact that you actually out, you outscored Wagner in points in the paint. Most teams do not do that in the NEC. So obviously you guys matched up physicality really well. Right. I actually didn't know that stat, which was, you know, very surprising just to hear that. But, you know, we know that they're a team that likes to get their buckets in the paint, likes to get um, offensive rebounds and buckets. So, you know, we had an emphasis on that, uh, boxing out, getting the rebound and making sure, you know, if they did have a possession, they only had one shot at it. So we kind of locked down on the defensive end when it came to rebounding. Jordan, down the stretch of that game, you got some big stops uh, in the last minute or so of regulation that got it to overtime. Then in overtime, you're, you guys go crazy, hit all seven of your shots, score 22 points in five minutes of overtime. How hype how was your bench in that last five minutes? And were you, were you surprised at that sort of offensive explosion out of nowhere after a very low scoring game? I mean, our bench, I have to give it up to our bench. Our bench was phenomenal the entire game. They gave us energy throughout the entire game. And when it comes to overtime, same thing as the whole entire game. I think our point guards played a great game. You know, Gallo harped on them having having to have a good game in order for us to win. And, you know, Mikey and Malik had a phenomenal game. Uh, Ziggy made some tough plays on the stretch, and especially in overtime. And McCoy made that tough and uh, one layup in overtime, which definitely got the bench hype. So, you know, it was a, it was definitely a good game. You know, we stayed together, stayed with it. And uh, thankfully, we made more plays on the stretch than Wagner. Describe the energy in the locker room scene after that game. You know, you know, Joe goes in, he gets his 100th win at Merrimack, which is obviously a tremendous achievement. He's only in his sixth season of coaching. and He's already got 100 wins, but. Describe that moment, describe kind of that uh, jubilation and getting that win, that kind of major season in a big upset. I mean, it was definitely a great moment for Gallo. Uh, definitely a way to get 100 wins against a team that, you know, was 14 or 15 and 0 uh, in the conference. So it was definitely good, you know, 
we poured our heart and soul into that game. So it was definitely rewarding just seeing it all come to fruition at the end. And we definitely enjoyed that moment in the locker room for sure. Yeah, Joe Gallo, is a, I texted him that he's a maniac after seeing that locker room celebration. But that's a, in a good way. Who does? Who could do more push-ups? You or Joe, by the way? Uh, <laughs> Gallo doesn't want to see me in the, in the push-ups. <laughs> I'll, pro- I'll promise him that. He doesn't want to see me in the push-ups. So, Jordan, I mean, the game plan, I think, um, I think you did a great job neutralizing Raekwon Rogers, being in the back of that 2-3 zone. Um, you know, it, He's gotten a lot of points off his left shoulder, you know, using that kind of hook, getting, you know, backing to, uh, opponents down. How was the scouting report there? It seemed like you you really in that second half when you didn't have foul trouble no longer, you had a couple big blocks, you were rim running, you were really active, 20 points, 10 rebounds in that game. Um, you know, describe the scouting report and kind of neutralizing Wagner's interior attack. I mean, we knew Raekwon was going to, you know, be their focal point when they needed a bucket when they were struggling. So definitely uh, locking in on him defensively was going to be a key for us. And, you know, my position back there in our 2-3 zone is the goalie. You know, everything from the high poles down is kind of my responsibility. So I kind of take ownership for that and, you know, locked in on on defense when it came to that with uh, not only blocks but charges too, which were, you know, huge down the stretch for us. Yeah, your former teammate when you were a freshman, Idris Joyner had – as Joe Gallo told me, 30 charges at senior year, which is incredible. That's like 30 instant turnovers. With, yeah. you know, everyone talks about Javaris Hayes, and rightfully so. He's the all-time you know, uh, steals leader in NCAA history. But when you could get 30 turnovers from the back of your 2-3 zone, you know, how much did you learn from him in drawing charges? You obviously bring more of a shot-blocking aspect to that position, but it's kind of like the best of both worlds for you, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Dries was the unsung hero uh, for that season with all those charges. You know, they definitely go unnoticed, you know, just because of the grittiness. But me coming in as a freshman, I just wanted, you know, the highlight plays, the blocks. But he showed me that the charges were just as good, not even better. So, you know, he taught me a lot about taking charges. You know, I had a lot lot of uh, ups and downs, you know, hitting my head on the back of the uh, floor when I'm taking some charges. But you know, he, he kept uh, me close to him, he was definitely a great teammate and helped me, you know, be great in taking charges when to take him and when not to take him. So I got to give it up to him. Jordan, you had some great mentors in, in uh, Javaris and Idris. How is it now? You're in your third season. Now you've had Ziggy and Mikey with you this whole time. How important is that chemistry to your team's success? You know, I think the chemistry is so important. And just like you said, Javaris showed me that um, at a young age as, as a freshman. And I've been trying to carry that um, as a leader for this team. But we've been very together throughout the season. You know, it's been a hard season for us, but we've still tried to, you know, remain together, remain close and kind of lean on each other. You know, we say we at the end of the huddle and it's, you know, uh, it's, it's all about us. You know, um, Wagner did make uh, a run. In, this, in the second half, we knew they would. They're a good team. They're not just going to, you know, roll over. So I told our guys, you know, just stay composed, stay together, and worry about us. Don't let that distract us from our goal and just uh, stay together. And that's what we did. I mean, you talk about the team, but let's talk about you. I mean, you've been playing great of late, three straight double-doubles. Uh, you've been really effective down low, attacking the rim. What has led to the uptick in your production? Honestly, I think it's just worrying about the right things, you know, when you worry about, you know, points and all that stuff, you know, things start kind of going out the window. But 
you know, I try to focus on defense and try to get us stops. And then when we do get stops, just being out in transition, trying to get some easy buckets. And then that's when I start feeling the game come to me, start getting into a rhythm. So just focusing on the right things um, inevitably leads to good things. Yeah, last thing for me is, uh, you know, have you always been a great rim runner? Because I feel like that's a underrated part of your game. You had a block in that second half against Wagner where you ended up rim running, running, you got the outlet and then you flushed it down. Have you always been really good at that going into high school and then travel ball as well? In high school, in high school, later on in the years of high school, I was pretty good at it. Um, I've really just started focusing on it and doing it a lot in college, you know, just to get a way to get easy points. And it, I mean, it's not glamorous. It's not like a three ball, but it's still effective. And it's still, you know, something that uh, I think is crucial to the game just to get easy points and definitely separates myself uh, from everyone else. So you got to do what you got to do to win. And that's all, all I'm about is winning. So as long as I, I get that dub in the column, that's all that matters to me. Jordan, if we had an uh, NEC dunk off on uh, NEC front row, are you going to win this? Because there's some tough competition in the league this year. There, there definitely is some <laughs> tough competition. I've definitely seen some crazy dunks. I've definitely seen some crazy dunks. I mean, we got to have a dunk contest or something just to settle it. I mean, that would be fun. But it's definitely been this is there's definitely been a great uh, season. So I can't even I can't even begin to say how excited I am just to play against everyone. It's just definitely been fun. Jordan, let's talk a little bit about you off the court. Uh, you're an excellent student involved in the Merrimack community and on campus. How important it is for you, is it for you to have that total student athlete experience outside of just playing hoops? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very important to me. Um, me, I like to be in the gym, but I try not to let that sidetrack me from my own personal life. Uh, but, you know, I am passionate about basketball, but my parents taught me at a young age that, I am not only basketball, you know, I'm a student, I'm a brother, I'm a young man. So just trying to get myself well immersed in the uh, campus, doing some other things around campus, whether it's working games or refing intramurals, I try to do that just to, you know, show face and just try to make connections uh, across campus. So definitely a good thing to have. Refing intramurals, yeah. So you're sympathetic to the officials when, you, when you're being <laughs> Let me tell you, when 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 some of the players see me walking on campus, they they definitely always let me know what's on their mind. So I can definitely see what it's like being a ref. Can't even imagine these these uh, games, these crucial games when you have to make some tough calls. Oof, definitely tough. So I, I That's good. Understand. Jordan, what are, what are your future plans after you graduate? Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the goal, the dream is to play professionally. And then when I'm done with that, uh, I am a ma um, communications major with a minor in sports management. So hopefully still be able to talk about the game that I love, maybe coach it, uh, maybe be on the sidelines with Ryan, uh, commentating the game or just being an analyst. You never know. So. Jordan, I may maybe a co-hosting slot right here on this show will open one day. And it can be you. And then Ryan, would, Ryan won't be here anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Just like that. I, I would love to take that position. I'm sorry, Ryan, but <laughs> you never know. You may need a new face. I will, uh, I will step out of the way if the 6'8 Jordan Miner, the well-spoken <laughs> Miner, wants to talk about the NEC. I think that's, that's, a, that's a good spot for Ron to be in. Yeah, on, on, on and off the court. On and off the court, for sure.
Outstanding. Well, thanks, Jordan, for joining us. We wish you luck uh, the best the rest of your season, the rest of the way out to Merrimack. And maybe we have a future as an NEC commentator, Jordan Miner, down the line. Thanks for thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Ryan, that was fun talking to Jordan Miner, one of the best players in the game. Great guy. Let's talk about some more great players. Bryant, Peter Kiss, Charles Pride. They had their nine-game win streak snapped at LIU. But that LIU team is super talented, and that didn't shock me. They still, Bryant still has a four-game lead over the two teams in third place right now, Mount and LIU. Still a two-horse race, it seems, for the NEC title. Where do you see Bryant at this point? I mean, their magic number is one to clinch a top two spot. So I think that's, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be a one or two seed in this NEC tournament. I mean, just the nine game winning streak was so impressive. And like you said, I was not surprised LIU picked them off on the road. That's a, that's a tough matchup. And LIU is 10 and one right now in, in Brooklyn. And that includes the game that they won in the Pope center against St. Francis, Brooklyn. So they're very comfortable playing in that borough. And so it didn't surprise me that Brian got picked off. I mean, before that, though, Sacred Heart played Bryant and the Bulldogs dropped 99 points on them. Charles Pride and Peter Kiss had a combined 71 in that game. Uh, and they, they actually outscored Sacred Heart 27 to zero on fast break points in Fairfield, Connecticut. So just a really impressive performance. Um, obviously, they're, they're one of the most dangerous teams in the league. And, you know, without Elijah Ford, It'll be interesting if we do get a Wagner-Bryant matchup in the NEC final, who's actually going to be favored there. I know Hall Elijah is still out. Hopefully he comes back soon. But once Bryant is full strength, right now they have the best offensive efficiency in the league, in league play. Uh, they have the best offensive rebounding rate in league play. A lot of that is Greg Kalix and Charles Pride, of course. They get to the free throw line a ton. They are an offensive juggernaut. The only thing they really don't do a ton great is, is shoot threes, but they they – shoot a ton of them. So by volume, they're going to make their fair share of threes on a game in and game out basis. But offensively, this team is really special. Just as we mentioned with Peter Kiss, Charles Pride, when Hall Elijah comes back and even some of the bench guys like Luis Hurtado is one of my favorites because he's that, he's that quote unquote glue guy who kind of just does all right. the dirty work. He facilitates, he's a big body. So you could use him on defense, you know, in, in the wing, and, uh, you know, to have him and Erickson Bands and guys like that, you know, helping out the, you know, the, the, the main players for Brian, they're, they're as dangerous a team as there is right now. While I would definitely say that's a feather in the cap win for LIU, I think if you're Brian, you got to feel pretty good that you went up against those big three forwards of LIU without Hall Elijahs, and you still went right to the end of that game. You got to think that if there's a rematch coming, you know, you could conceivably see a rematch in the semifinals of the NEC tournament here. You got to feel pretty confident. I think if you're Bryant, if that game is played up in Smithfield and you're at full strength, yeah. though, you know, it's going to be a dogfight. Yeah, I think a lot of it is Greg Calix has played so well with Hall. He has. He's, he's been he's been fantastic. He's been a revelation. Uh, you know, scoring 14 points in that loss to LIU, but he's been he's been great on the glass. He's been great in rim protection. Uh, you know, they got that kind of alley-oop, those alley-oop set plays with both Elijah and Clicks that, you know, that they execute really well. So I think he's played really well. And obviously Pride's playing at a, an all-conference first team level. So I think having those two guys in your quote-unquote front court 
is just a great luxury for 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 Jared. And once he gets Hall Elijahs back, you kind of have a, a lethal duo of the five between the two of them. You could play them 20 minutes each, or you could play two of them at the same time if you want to go big against St. Mount St. Mary's, or like you mentioned, that that big front court of LIU. So he'll have more flexibility in his rotations. Right now they're kind of shortened because of Elijah's being out. But you just add another guy who, in my, my opinion, is an all-conference player in, in Elijah's and the way he could affect the game on both ends, especially around the rim. Uh, it just makes Bryant, as I keep saying, they're dangerous, but they are, you know, and they're 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 a really good team that I think at this point to kind of they have a coin flip chance to win the championship if you're pairing them against Wagner. Ryan, another team with some upside potential is certainly St. Francis Brooklyn on Saturday. Solid win over Central Connecticut. Larry Moreno probably had his best game of the season. Lots of weapons on that team from Patrick Emelian to Michael Cubbage to Moreno. What do you see from them at this point? How dangerous can they be in March? Really dangerous. I mean, they they won that game. It wasn't really a contest against Central Connecticut. They had a 24-2 run in the middle of that game. And you mentioned Larry Moreno. I, I thought that was the best game of his career, a career-high 23 points. You know, made four or five from two, three of six from three, got to the free throw line seven times. He was really dynamic, and he was perfect with Cubbage being out that day. He filled in perfectly for him. And you mentioned it, you know, Patrick Emelian, uh, you know, Wilcox shooting from deep. You know, this team has the ability to fill it up from deep. You know, they were 9 of 18 against Central Connecticut. So they could do a number of things well. They got, you know, Hemphill can stretch it out, the five position. So, Glenn, you know, Glenn Brake has got some flexibility there. And I think if they get to that five seed, they're going to be a they're going to be a tough NEC tournament opponent in that quarterfinal, whether it's LIU or Mount St. Mary's hosting them. Um, you know, they they would be a team that I would peg for an upset early on because they have that potential. They have that kind of a veteran leadership, so to speak. Even though they have new guys in Cubbage and Amelia, and these guys are veterans. They've been around the block plenty and they've played at higher levels. So I certainly would not count them out in a playoff atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. It's a well-constructed team and it does have they have some flexibility. I mean, just look at their games against Wagner this year. I mean, they took Wagner to the limit twice. Yeah, I mean, they're in there because they, they they match the defensive intensity that Wagner has. They practice against it every day. That's been Glenn Breka's M.O. since he's been, you know, in Brooklyn as the head coach. And so, you know, the reasons why they stuck with Wagner is they were able to pound for pound, for pound match up with them in the interior physically. Um, and they just, they were unafraid of the intensity. They were unafraid of the big moment. And, uh, you know, I was kind of courtside for that home game against St. Francis Brooklyn. And uh, it was just, it was really impressive. I know, you know, Wagner outscored them in points in the paint, but, you know, Brooklyn, you know, had more, you know, generated more turnovers, had more points off the turnovers. They got to the free throw line more and they just were, they were tough. You know, Patrick Amelia made a lot of big buckets late in that game. And so they have guys that I've mentioned before, unafraid of the big moment. I didn't even mention Rob Higgins, but he's played plenty of NEC games and he's certainly unafraid. He's, he's got a great motor. So I just feel like their guys are more in tune with kind of playing in these play in this playoff atmosphere. And, you know, as opposed to these maybe younger teams that are below them in the standings like central Connecticut or sacred heart or, uh, or fairly Dickinson. I just feel like, you know, they have that veteran presence that makes them dangerous in March. 
Let's go and talk a little bit about the red flash. SFU uh, comes into Hackensack on Thursday. Pretty much a wire-to-wire win over FDU. Wins by 13. Comes back home, does that split trip, plays the mount right down to the to the bitter end. Tough loss. Good game that could have gone either way. St. Francis seems to be one of those, another one of those teams that's just on the cusp of doing something special. Uh, I don't know if they've gotten the consistency that they've wanted out of some of their players, but there's another team that can be dangerous, you know, when we get to those three games in March. Yeah, so I never got the memo about Brad McCabe. <laughs> Me either. Where did he come from? Where did he come? I mean, we talked about, you know, veterans playing and kind of filling up rotations and young guys not even having a chance to play. But whoever forecasted Brad McCabe going into Fairleigh Dickinson scoring 21 points, uh, you know, on, on five of six shooting from deep. I mean, he was just tremendous. He came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, that deep front court with, uh, you know, right now Josh Cohen's playing really well and Marlon Hargis and, you know, Miles Thompson's a KG veteran. But to have Brad McCabe come in there and, and, and fill it up like that and, and give them the win over the Knights was really impressive. You know, when you don't have Giles, you know, one of your scorers and go-to guys, you need someone to step into the void. And he did just... He did just that and yeah. good for him. Good for him. He's made a name for himself and now he's earned a spot in the rotation and they're going to need him moving forward. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the Rennell Giles injury really hurt them because, uh, you know, it, t- it took away some of their playmaking and athleticism on the perimeter. And so now it's kind of all on RDCs and Maxwell lands, uh, you know, shoulders. And they're obviously capable players. I, I, I love both guys, especially land, you know, he's, he's kind of that, that really versatile guard who could do a little bit of everything really well. Um, but it's a tough spot to put them in when Giles went down, but McCabe coming in and kind of filling in for that at that three spot definitely helps. And, you know, if they could continue to get good production out of, you know, Josh Cohen, I think's had a terrific sophomore year. I think he's going to end up getting an all conference third team selection the way he's been playing. He's just, he's so dominant in the post. I mean, he's so unique for this league, just a seven foot guy who's not, who's not that athletic, but he just knows how to get the ball in the basket. And he's got an assortment of post moves. He's, you know, he's very smart with the ball in the high post. He could, you know, he could find, he could find guys with the pass. He could, he could dribble drive past smaller, or smaller fives. Um, you know, he's, he's been so impressive in these two years. Well, three years, cause he redshirted, but in these two years, he's played for St. Francis. I've been really impressed by kind of his progression. You know, when you mentioned Cohen and you look at some of these NEC bigs this year, this really is, I don't want to call it a golden era, but it's a big year for the conference as far as bigs that can really go. I mean, let's go down and talk, you know, look through some of them. You got Hall Elijah, right? You have, and we're not talking all seven footers here, but when you're, you know, when you get these six, seven and, and up um, players that can provide offense, rim protect on defense. You have Andre Snotty, you know, starting to grow up at Central Connecticut. Anquan Hill at FDU. All three of those guys at LIU. Jordan Minor, Nana Poku, you know, Malik Jefferson, Offerum. Uh, who else am I missing? We have Patrick Emelian. Raekwon Rogers. Raekwon Ray Rogers, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch of players that can get things done, and it's great to watch. Yeah, I... I... I haven't dug into the analytics of this, but I would be willing to bet that post post play is up this year, just because you have so many more guys that 
are comfortable with their backs to the basket and can finish around the rim, as you mentioned. You know, Raquan Rogers uh, has a great back to the basket game, especially going over his left shoulder. Jordan Minor has that has that beautiful right hook, a uh, little baby hook, you know, over his over his right shoulder. And then you know, Josh Cohen, and you mentioned Hill and Snotty. I mean, there's some guys who are really comfortable playing around the rim. And uh, yeah, I don't know if the era of big men is coming back in the NEC, but we're <laughs> And I don't want to get I don't want to get yelled at by Aunt Anthony Latina. I forgot to mention Nico Gallet. That's another one. Well, he's a, he's actually more of a perimeter guy. Like he's more comfortable kind of operating in space. He he loves to face you up and kind of pass you via the dribble. Also get out in transition. He's super athletic at his size at six six. I wouldn't call him a back to the basket guy. More Contavio Dutrell's kind of more wired. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking more like traditional bigs, like guys that, you know, the thing that impresses me with these bigs like Rogers and Minor and, and um, you know, they have, they're not supposed to move like that at six foot eight and 200 and some odd pounds, but they, they right. have great nimble footwork. They're quick. They, they utilize the up and under. It's, it's impressive. They rim run. I mean, there's a lot of versatile fives in this league that could do a number of things really well. They're just not they're not just single faceted in one area. Yeah, I think a couple of the underrated ones we talked about, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, Greg collects what he can do in and around the rim. And you know who impressed, impressed me the last couple of games? Jameer Fletcher has given Wagner some really good yes. minutes filling in for Rodgers. Yeah, he's a veteran. He's been there for three years and uh, he's really improved his play. I think he's in the perfect spot right now in Bashir Mason's rotation. He is perfectly cast as a backup five who plays 15 minutes a game. He's going to give you you know, maximum energy on the floor. And I, he's, he's improved his fitness. You could see it. He, he rim runs better this year. He's more active and bouncy around the rim. Um, and, you know, he actually, they were, you know, Bashir Mason was kind of substituting. He was doing um, in that Merrimack game, especially in the second half in overtime, he was putting in Rodgers for offense, but Jameer Fletcher for defense. And that kind of tells you what he, how he feels about Fletcher to put him in the clutch periods, you know, defensively during that time he really trusted him late and he's played really well for Wagner good chatting about the bigs Ryan but we move on in our format to NEC milestones let's start with Joe Gallo picking up his 100th win in spectacular fashion Ken Palm called Merrimack a 16-point underdog in that game. So they were, I think, 5% chance to win that game uh, right at opening tip. And so for, for Joe Gallo to get win 100 there, to do it you know, in five and a half seasons as Merrimack's head coach, he's gotten to 100 really quickly. Um, you know, Now in two and a half years at, at the, in the NEC, he's now 28-20 and 20 against NEC competition. He has one Jim Phelan Coach of the Year award to his record. He has a regular season championship, and this is despite the Warriors' Division One transitional status. And also impressive with Joe, uh, Joe Gallo is, I just love the energy that he exudes in the sidelines. He is, he is passionate. He is up and down. And I don't know if you watch that, you know, Wagner game it's in, in its entirety, Ron, but I mean, his fist pumps at the, at the end when Malik Edmund <laughs> hit the floor in overtime. I mean, just, and then, you know, you see the push-ups and then we talked about that with Jordan Minor and the push-ups, but just the energy that he brings, you know, to that team and they, they feed off that, you know, and this is like, you know, he's, he's six foot zero, you know, he was a walk-on at Merrimack, but it's just the energy and the enthusiasm that he brings to that team is just, um, you know, it's, it's impressive. 
It definitely is infectious, and he is he's fun to watch on the sidelines. He works up a sweat for sure, <laughs> rooting on his Warriors. Let's move on in milestones. We could talk all day about Charles Pride, and I have no problem with that. Charles, uh, last week, got uh, his 500th rebound. He is 35 points away from 1,000 points for his career. He's got another year left. There'll be many more milestones to come, hopefully. Ryan, you see what he does on the boards. He is six feet four. He's leading the NEC in rebounding. If he finishes the league's leading rebounder, he will be the first six foot four or under player to rank first since, do you know who? Keith Braxton. No, he was six five. He's not That's- six. He's listed listed 6'5". Well, everybody is. Well, um, the answer is Obi Wadiki, who was listed as 6'4 for Central, but was probably (laughs) 6'1". So I don't know if I believe any of the heights, but according to the rosters, it would be Obi Wadiki for Central back in two straight years from 2000, I think, 5 to 7. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's when he was really good for Central. Yeah, and about Charles Pride, I mean, he... He's fantastic. I love his versatility. I've mentioned that many times. And the thing that was even impressive with Pride, you know, he didn't shoot the ball very well against LIU, but he still chipped in with 15 rebounds and six assists in that game. So even when he's not scoring, he just affects the game in so many different ways. And that's one reason why, you know, he may not be an elite scorer when Brian has all their guys back and they're healthy, but he just does so many other things on the floor for you that uh, he's, he's a talent and can, cannot be ignored. You know, he's, he's an all-conference first-teamer right now, without a doubt. Ryan, let's hit our games to watch this week. A couple of NEC TV affairs. We start in Fairfield on Thursday, 7 p.m., SNY, ESPN3, Wagner at Sacred Heart. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This is a tough matchup for the Pioneers, and this may seem obvious, but they just they have to shoot the ball well against Wagner. If they, if they can make their threes, we know Wagner is not particularly strong in the perimeter. If they can make threes, they could stay in this game. Um, and, you know, it's going to be tough because Wagner has such an advantage in the interior with Raekwon Rogers and, you know, Will Martinez and Jameer Fletcher, who we mentioned before, that, you know, the, the bigs, you know, Bryce Johnson, Nico Gallette, Contabio Dutrell, they're going to have to really step up, rebound the basketball, kind of prevent those second-chance opportunities for Wagner. If they could do that and they can make some shots, because there is going to be a three-point discrepancy if they can make, you know, six, seven, eight, nine threes in this game, they'll have a chance to win it. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to, have, it's going to take a collective team effort for them to pull off the upset. It's Pioneer Week on NEC TV because two days later, we're going to stick with the Fighting Latinas as they go up to North Andover to take on Merrimack on an ESPN Plus game at 3 p.m. Yeah, the Fighting Latinas must rate really well on TV, so uh, I can see why you have them back-to-back here. But, you know, that 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 Wagner 2-3 zone, again, you know, Sacred Heart's going to have to shoot well. Merrimack thrives at taking away your three-point opportunities. So for Sacred Heart, I think they have to kind of get back to what they used to do really well, and that's kind of get into transition, utilize the fast break. Wagner did that to, to a, some success against Merrimack. When you can get opportunities in transition, you don't allow that Merrimack defense to set. And because once the Merrimack defense sets, you're in for a long slog. You know, you're your, your shot clock's going to go all the way down to, you know, under 10, under five seconds before you actually get a halfway decent shot. So I think, you know, the guard matchup here is going to be really interesting. Malik Edme is one of the best guards in the league, in my opinion. He's just a great three and rim guy. 
So him going up against Aaron Clark, Tyler Thomas, and then you have Mikey Watkins who comes off a really good game against Wagner. I really like the guards here. Two NEC TV games. As always, we'll have the rest of the slate on NEC Front Row and on the NEC On The Run series of mobile apps. Ryan, is there one more game on the schedule you have circled this weekend? Yeah, I think so. LIU at Mount St. Mary's on Saturday, February 19th. Uh, you know, this one's going to be in Emmitsburg. The students are back. They filled the gym up against Bryan. You know, that was an impressive showing by the fans. They always show up for those big games. You know, I was talking to Joe DeSantis and he, him and Dave Popkin did the, the Bryan Mountain game. And he was just telling me how he loves to go down to Emmitsburg because the fans, yes. they're, they're very friendly. He loves the atmosphere. You know, the crowd just kind of energizes the players on the floor and it just kind of takes the game up another level. And, you know, we got, we got seeding implications here with LIU and Mount. You know, they're fighting for a three seed. It may not sound like much, but you never know. Like, let's say if Bryant or Wagner, as presumably the top two seeds, let's say they get picked off in the quarters or the semis. Now, if you're the three seed, you all of a sudden have a chance to actually host the game you weren't expecting to host. So I think it does matter to some degree. Um, you know, you just want to avoid Wagner kind of in that in that Spiro Center environment. Agreed. Tough place to play. One of my favorite arenas in the NEC. When that place is packed, it absolutely rocks. LIU Mount should be a good one on Saturday. Time to put a bow on things, Ryan. Thanks for joining us once again. This was fun, just kind of free-flowing this week's podcast. We had two weeks left in the regular season. March is right around the corner. And I can't wait to see what happens and how the seeds start to shake out over the next week or so. I'll have my tiebreaker grid ready to go i'll get craig d'amico helping me out and we will break it all down and see who's clinched home games everybody's in this year so we don't have the who's in and who's not but we have to see who's the one seed on both the men's and the women's sides and then who's going to get those top four seeds and host quarterfinal games ryan thanks a lot for joining me as always my pleasure all right we'll be back next week with nec on the run